So there are many themes in the Bible, right? There's many, there's many times in the Bible where certain passages, certain, uh, certain themes, cer- certain verses even, have either the same theme or are like repeated in different books. So we have the Gospels, for example, where they all have this, you know, very similar um, accord of Jesus' life on earth. So you can see common themes within those books. Um, but one thing that, as I was praying about this message, there's one verse in the Bible um, where it is repeated immediately. It's not just a theme that you can find elsewhere in Bible, in the Bible, but um, it is a verse in which God chose to emphasize what he was saying immediately. Um, and that's Philippians 4.4. 4. And so it simply says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's a verse that's emphasized. Like, God could have chosen for that verse to say, Rejoice in the Lord always, and then move on to Philippians 4.5. He didn't. Because there's an important emphasis on this concept of rejoicing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. You know, God, God uh, used Paul for many different messages throughout his, you know, 13 uh, letters that he wrote in the Bible. You know, I think about the armor of God in Ephesians. I think about not being anxious about anything, which is found later in Philippians 4. He talks about clothing ourselves with compassion in Colossians. There's so many good verses. But this is the one time where, like, in the same verse, Paul says, I will say it again, rejoice. So why? How? Those are the two questions that we're going to look at in this message today. And I'm really excited about the why piece, because I think it's really cool to think about why God focused on this this concept of rejoicing. The how is going to be somewhat up to you, and I won't have that exact answer for you. Um, But I'm excited to just jump in and talk about why this concept of rejoicing is so important. But the important thing to realize right off the bat, is that this verse, it's a commandment. You can choose to obey it. You can choose not to obey it. It's really up to you. But it is a commandment. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. So rejoice. Or don't. <laughs> it's up to you. But I I, I will say that it's, it's normally uh, frowned upon to go against what the Lord is saying. <laughs> so I'd encourage you to really focus in on are you rejoicing always as we talk through this message. I'll ask one more question. What's the opposite of rejoicing? I don't know if there is an absolute opposite. You know, you look in the, uh, you know, you look in the Google and the, the, the Google says the opposite of rejoicing is, is, is mourning, which, which I think fits. But I also say you know, apathy, self-pity, complacency. All those things exist in the absence of rejoicing. And I mean, if someone came up to you and asked, Hey Mike, would you rather rejoice or mourn? I'm pretty sure your answer would be rejoice, right? You know, so, because you, when you think of that word, you think of, well, I'm happy then, right? I'm happy. I, things are going great if I'm rejoicing. And then mourning, it's, it's obviously the other side of it. And you're like, okay, that's, 
That's a negative emotion. I don't want to experience that. But that's not what this rejoicing is about. It's not about happiness. It's not about emotional feelings. It's about a way of life. So, we are to rejoice regardless of all of our circumstances. And that's the hard part. That's the hard part. And so I want to step back and I want to think about the book of Philippians as a whole. Um, Paul wrote some letters in response to like an urgent need or correction. You know, with Galatians and Colossians, he wrote those in response to a crisis. But with Philippians, there was no crisis. There was a young, excited church filled with a small group of believers that were praying for Paul and doing ministry with Paul and were so excited about furthering the kingdom together. And yet Paul thought it was very important to write this letter to them because he knew what was on the horizon. He knew that there were going to be trials and tribulations. A lot of people in that time weren't so keen on this whole Jesus thing. I'd like to argue that we're seeing a lot of that today as well. People are becoming less and less keen on that word Jesus and how that's intrusive. And Paul saw that the Philippians were going to go through trials and tribulations. So even though they were full of excitement, they were full of joy, they were full of ministry, he knew that he needed to warn them that he needed to rejoice in all circumstances. So this is a protective commandment. This is not a reactive commandment. It's not a correctional commandment. It's a protective commandment saying, in every circumstance, you've got to rejoice in the Lord because otherwise, otherwise, you're going to be torn down by those circumstances. You're going to struggle with those circumstances. You're going to hurt and you're not going to know where to look. So, Philippians 4, 11-13, it's later in the same chapter, Paul talks about this concept in a little bit more detail. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Let's go back to verse 11 for a second. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He learned to be content. He didn't just experience Jesus on the road to Damascus and boom, he was content in every circumstance. He learned to be content in every circumstance. He experienced life in him and learn to be content whatever was going on. And that's why the commandment of rejoicing is, is rejoicing always is so important. Because until we walk into the truth that is in Him, who truly gives us our strength, who gives us everything we have, who leads us be, beside still waters, who restores our soul, only then will we walk out life ser- seriously saying that the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's so important to understand that Paul got it. Paul had gone through so much life, and he had to experience things to understand that the best way to approach life in him is to rejoice always. So, so how? 
how, how can we do this? Because I'm sure this is not a verse that you've like totally skipped over. You know, I've read it many times. And it's a really easy concept when you think about it. It's just, okay, I need to rejoice always. But how? I don't. I know I don't. I know there are days where I, I'm not rejoiceful. I'm not focused on him. So how? I'm going to say it again. I, I, I'm not going to have the answer for the how in this message. But what I hope is, at the end of it, this message will be personalized in you to the, to the fact that, okay, I need to figure out how I'm going to rejoice in you always, Lord. So I hope the why is going to be so apparent to you at the end of this. So I want to talk about uh, some other just instances that Paul gave us about how to rejoice always. Romans 5, 1 through 5 says, Therefore, since we have just... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, or some, some translations say rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have to rejoice in our sufferings because in that, we then gain perseverance. And in that, we then gain character. And in that, we gain hope. I think the order is interesting, right? Isn't that a, a kind of interesting order? Because we innately have hope in Christ. And I think we all grasp that concept. But what Paul is saying here, unless we persevere through suffering and gain character, we're not actually able to truly understand what that hope means. The order is so interesting. And you have to be willing to rejoice in the suffering, to get there, to get the full completeness of the hope that is in Jesus Christ. So you can't tell by looking at me, um, but I've been trying to get in shape. Yeah. Um, I, I have a desire to run a 5K, you know, which to many people running a 5K probably isn't a huge goal, but for me, the thought of actually completing a 5K, actually running the whole time and not like, Staggering, um, it's it's a really cool thought to me. I'm really excited about it. And what I've realized lately is I will go a week or two without running, and I will lose the momentum that I've gained in terms of actually getting my stamina up, so that I could get to that ultimate, you know, 5K that I'm so excited about. If I'm not willing to suffer a little bit um, and get my endurance up. I'm never going to reach that goal. And so it's me saying, you know what, I'm going to rejoice that I have to do, go through this. I have to go through these trials. And eventually I know that it's going to be good at the end. We will struggle to build character if we aren't accepting of suffering or hardship in our lives, guys. If we rejoice even amidst pain, we then gain that perseverance which grows our character and then that grows our hope in Christ. And by the way, when... 
I say the word hardship. Don't minimize your hardship. Don't minimize your hardship. God wouldn't say cast all your cares upon Him if He didn't mean cast all your cares upon Him. Don't minimize your hardship. You know, a lot of times we think about the circumstances that Paul was in and think, well, he was in chains, he was starving, he was persecuted, he was, you know, flogged, he was he went through real suffering. That is a lie of the devil. If we are saying, no, our suffering is not that important, because it is. Our hardship is important. It can be just struggling to make ends meet. It can be struggling to know where that next meal is going to come from. It can be that someone ticked you off today, and you don't know how to respond to it. It can be that you asked the Lord for something, and He didn't follow through the way that you thought He was supposed to follow through. It can be that you're mad at God for the circumstances that you're currently in. All those things are your hardships. The thing that you need to do is actually take them to Him and say, I I trust you even amidst the hardship. Oswald Chamber, um, he is Oswald Chambers. Um, he wrote a fantastic devotional called "My Utmost for His Highest," and it's just got so much goodness in it. But I wanted to read a quote out of this book. Um, he said, "We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life, and that is where we have to prove our stamina and strength. We are inclined to think that everything that happens is." The to be turned into useful teaching. But in actual fact, it is to be turned into something even better than teaching. Character. God didn't make us so that we could sit on the mountaintop. He made us so that we could be in the valley and do life and gain that character and gain strength and then affect the world. Speaking of the world, God's already overcome it for us, which is pretty awesome. John 16.33 said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let's look at David really quick. Let's think about David. We look up to David. I think that David is in Scripture for so many reasons. You know, you get the, the story of strength amidst impossible odds. You get just amazing trust in the Lord. Um, But we also see a vulnerable man doing life. Just like we are. Just like we do. I want to spend some time in Psalm 69. And as we talk about Psalm 69, I want you to keep in mind that David is hurting. And he doesn't hide it. He doesn't try and like shove it somewhere or hide it so that no one will see it, he instead is crying out. So Psalm 69, 1 through 5, it says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. Many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me, I am forced to restore 
what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly, but my guilt is not hidden from you. Then later on, I mean, he goes on for a long time. I could read, you know, 20 verses, but he ends this section of just crying out his heart with verse 20. It just says, Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. If a man like David was willing to be so vulnerable about what he's going through to the Lord. Don't you think we should too? And I don't know about you guys, but I know that sometimes I will try to just act like I have it together. I'll just try and shove aside what I'm going through. David doesn't leave any, he doesn't hold back any punches here. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. He's lonely. He doesn't know where God is. He doesn't know where God is leading him. And he's honest about that. But then let's look at the end of that psalm. Verses 29 through 34. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with his horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. Guys, this is the absolute personified example of rejoicing always, and yet being vulnerable with what you're going through, yet being honest with yourself about what you are ticked off about, what you are hurting about. It's saying, Lord, I don't get it. I am hurting. I I have been waiting for this new job. I've been waiting to figure out how my kids are fed, and where are you? But in that, God, I know that you're good. I know that you're praiseworthy, and I give this to you. Hear my cry. Notice that I didn't start blaming God. That's an important part of all this. Be vulnerable. You know, cry out to Him. You can say, I feel like you are not there, Lord. But you don't then start blaming Him for what you're going through. Romans 8.28 I don't think I gave this verse to you, Kat, but I think most most of us probably know it. But it says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. And there's just something about this, this psalm, Psalm 69, where I'm just like, all right, David was way before Paul writing this, but he knew that. He knew that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. One thing I also want to mention in, as we kind of try to bring this home and, and kind of apply this to our lives, um, there's a difference between um, going to Him and rejoicing in hardship and then sin. It's very important that you can't rejoice in sin. <laughs> you can't rejoice in sin. 
you know, sin needs to actually be declared and repented to the Lord. And then you will draw close to him. He'll draw close to you. Proverbs 28.11 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. So I'm talking to, I know most of you. I'm talking to friends that I've done life with. And um, this message is about going deeper into that relationship with him where we rejoice always. And if you have sin in your life that is hidden, that you can't have that. If you have a situation where a brother has sinned against you, you need to take care of that. Russ Doty talked about that last week. So as we as we you know think about the how of this, which we're going to transition to, I want to make it abundantly clear that if there's sin in your life, take care of that sin first. Because if that sin is in your life, you're going to get a distorted view of our of our God. <laughs> you're going to get a, a, a weird, where are you, God, because there's actually sin in your life, not because um, you're you're just being vulnerable with him about what hardship you're going through. So there's a different differentiation there. So I want to go back to the order. The order of, of Romans 5. Um, to truly understand the hope that is in Christ Jesus, we have to first rejoice in hardship. Again, the suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, and then produces hope. As I said, it's really your choice. Rejoice in hardship or don't. But what's going to happen is that your peaks and valleys are going to be crazy. <laughs> like, And they're going to be based on circumstances. They're going to be based on what externally is going on in your life instead of on Jesus. And you're going to have moments of happiness. And then moments of pain. As opposed to having joy always. I want to go back to my running analogy. I mean, some of you, maybe this doesn't ring true because you like running, which is weird. Um, but... Um, I've realized, I, I've been frustrated myself that I haven't made more progress towards my goal. Because life happens, and I'm busy, and oh, I don't want to wake up early to go running. I'm never going to run a 5K then. I won't. Because I'm not willing to go through the hardship. God maybe spoke something incredible over your life. And you're like, God, when am I going to realize it? When am I going to experience it? I want to experience it. You, you, you promise this over me. He may be saying, endure the hardship first. Because you won't be ready unless you do. So how? How do we rejoice? How? It's going to be between you and God. You know, David wrote songs. He sang songs. He made joyful noises to the Lord. He woke up and said, I will enter this day with thanksgiving in my heart. That's what he did. That's how he started to rejoice always. Maybe it's, maybe it's saying the Lord's Prayer. We just went through this whole series where 
the Lord's Prayer was, for me, it was personalized. So that I understood every single word in that prayer and understood the purpose that it had in walking out a life devoted to Christ. So waking up and just saying, Father, praise be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my day today. And just praising him. Maybe that's it. Maybe that will help. Maybe it's knowing when you're going off your track. When the world is getting to you. And you're frustrated. Something needs to trigger and be like, okay, I'm going to give this to God. I don't have to like what I'm going through, but I'm going to give it to God because he's bigger and he's better. I'm going to rejoice always. I'm going to choose to do that. The definition of rejoice is to give joy or gladness. Again, it doesn't talk about happiness. To give joy to. Gladden. I think of lifting your spirits. That's the rejoicing that we're talking about here. That's the rejoicing that Paul is talking about here. So will you? Will you choose to rejoice? Will you choose to, despite what you're going through, whatever it is, your personal hardships that are important to him, are, are you going to rejoice through those? Or, or will you be downtrodden? Will you be engulfed by your circumstances? It's a huge decision. It's a huge decision. It allows us to get to the point where joy is just so present in our lives. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And he goes on to say in the same letter that he wrote, that one must learn to walk before one can run. So here, we, or at least I, shall not be able to adore God on the highest occasions if we have learned no habit of doing so on the lowest. At best, our faith and reason will tell us that he is adorable, but we shall not have found him so, not have tasted and seen. Any patch of sunlight in a wood will show you something about the sun which you could never get from reading books on astronomy. That's so good. I don't know about you, but I want to taste and see. I want to taste and see all the goodness that he has for us. And so again, you know, it's, I, I kept asking the Lord, like, I don't feel I have a good answer on the how. <laughs> I don't. I don't. But I hope the importance of it is so apparent. That's his heart. That's his desire. That's his desire for each and every one of you. That's his desire for our church. That we're, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable with him. We're, we're vulnerable with each other as we just walk out life together. 